subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. And welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I wanted to talk about my biggest movie pet peeve. It's called the prologue. It occurs at the beginning of a film, usually in a voiceover and sometimes a title card, that basically explains the world that you're in. And what always annoys me about them is that nine times out of ten, they're completely unnecessary. All of the information contained usually comes out in the film. So what's the purpose? Sometimes it's done as a budgetary constraint. If you're an independent movie, it's an easy way to establish what's going on without actually having to film it. But it's something I see even in the biggest blockbusters. Most recently, it was in Black Adam. They explain through voiceover and montages how he was a demigod and how he got his powers and yada yada yada, but all of that information could have easily been shown throughout the movie. They didn't need it. I'll give you another example from one of my favorite movies, Highlander. Right at the beginning, in red lettering, in Sean Connery's distinct voice, From the dawn we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives. Struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you, until now. Outside of that awful Sean Connery impression, none of that information adds anything to the movie. And the fact is, when you watch it, all of that becomes revealed. So now the prologue has acted like a bit of a spoiler. It's taken away the mystery and suspense of what's going on. So a word of advice to all writers out there. Stop doing prologues. And if you really need to do it, ask yourself, what does this add? Because nine times out of ten, it's nothing. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is skip it. Two stars watch at your own risk. Three stars standard fare. Four stars worth checking out. And five stars must see. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Swamp Thing from 1982. It was written and directed by Wes Craven, whose credits include The Last House on the Left, The Hills Have Eyes, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Serpent and the Rainbow, and Scream. Ray Wise stars as Dr. Alec Holland. He started his career playing the role of Jamie Rollins on the soap opera Love of Life. He would appear in TV movies and episodes of Charlie's Angels, Barnaby Jones, and Lou Grant. But his breakthrough would be his second feature-length film, Swamp Thing. He would bounce between appearances on TV shows with parts in the theater, where he won an Obie Award for The Tooth of Crime by Sam Shepard. 
His next big role would be as Leland Palmer in David Lynch's Twin Peaks. He's continued to have a successful working career, having appeared in Fresh Off the Boat, Fargo, Gilmore Girls, Agent Carter, and Mad Men. He also lent his voice to Commissioner Gordon in Batman The Killing Joke, which I reviewed last season on the podcast. Adrian Barbeau portrays Alice Cable. She was born in Sacramento, California, and moved to New York in the 1960s to become a go-go dancer. She made her Broadway debut in Fiddler on the Roof and appeared in over 25 shows, originating the role of Rizzo in Greece, which she was nominated for a Tony Award in 1972. She was soon cast in the All in the Family spin-off, Maud, as the titular character's daughter, appearing in 125 episodes from 1972 to 1978. She earned a role in the TV movie Someone's Watching Me, where she met director John Carpenter. They were married a few months later, and she would appear in his films The Fog, Escape from New York, and provided a computer voice in The Thing. She has over 150 credits to her name, including The Cannonball Run, Creep Show, Back to School, Argo, and provided voiceover work for Demolition Man, Judge Dredd, Batman the Animated Series, and Scooby-Doo. This is something to look out for, or listen out for. If the music for Swamp Thing sounds eerily similar to Friday the 13th, it's because composer Harry Manfredini, who scored both, used similar themes in both films. When a scientist is killed by an experimental life form, government agent Alice Cable arrives via helicopter to Dr. Alec Holland's base of operations in the swamps of Louisiana, assigned with protecting him. Her guide, Charlie, brings Alice to her post. She asks what Holland has been working on, but it's all top secret. She reviews the equipment, including the laser-induced subsonic field generator, and notices that one of the sensors in Sector 3 is malfunctioned. Charlie introduces her to Harry Ritter, Project Field Supervisor, who was informed that Washington, D.C. wants Holland back so they can keep an eye on him. There's a rumor that Anton Arcane has gotten wind of the project and intends to hijack the experiments, even though he's assumed to be dead. Ritter brings Alice to a covert laboratory where she meets doctors Alec Holland and his sister Linda. He overhears her concerns about the faulty sensor, and they take a boat ride to check it out. When they discover that the sensor has been tampered with, they rush back to base with their findings. Charlie also has concerns as they lost contact with Ronnie, who was guarding that sector. They return to the laboratory where Holland has been working on a hybrid between plant cells and animal nucleus, in hopes to create vegetation that is able to adapt to all environmental conditions, so world hunger could be eradicated. Their latest experiment merging the fur of a cooper's digger with a plant leads to explosive results. When under a microscope, the cells replicate like mad. Yes, that's the scientific evaluation. And Holland wants to put the solution on a plant. Cable asks, if it works on the plant the way it's expected to, what will it do to people? And what would happen if it got in the wrong hands? Here's a quote without context. A man who loves gives hostages to fortune. I wasn't sure that I would like Swamp Thing, because within 30 seconds it did my biggest movie pet peeve, the prologue, which was completely unnecessary, and it basically told you the story that we were about to see. But during the credits, it also had these odd transitions. They used a lot of wipes, which at that point was considered very old-school editing, which I suppose gained some popularity because it was used in Star Wars constantly, released a few years earlier. But I just didn't like it. I would have rather seen just one shot of the swamp as the credits passed. But that's personal taste. I thought the acting was pretty good. 
I had seen Ray Wise in Twin Peaks, so I was familiar with his work. And I like that he took the role seriously. You know, sometimes in comic books and superhero films, the dialogue is really cheesy. And if you don't have the right actor saying it, it comes off exactly like that. But Ray Wise did a great job being very convincing as a scientist, and all the gobbledygook he was saying sounded convincing. Adrian Barbeau, I've always enjoyed as an actor, seen her in all the Carpenter stuff. Her character came off as extremely intelligent. She was also resourceful. There were a couple of times where she had to escape from Arcane's men, and did so in convincing fashion. I really liked the environment. They made good use of the swamp. You could really feel the humidity there, and I'm glad none of the actors were dolled up. They actually looked like they were sweating and uncomfortable. Always adds to that realism. The special effects were special, I, I have to admit. At one point, it did look like Godzilla vs. Mothra, but by that point, you're invested in the movie. You know it's a little campy, so I think it works. But with a bigger budget, it probably could have been better. Now for a little trivial trivia. Wes Craven was unaware of the Swamp Thing story because growing up, he was forbidden from reading comic books. Swamp Thing was produced by Benjamin Melnicker and Michael E. Usian, who were executives on the Batman film series and other DC properties. It was filmed in Cypress Garden, South Carolina. The cinematography was captured by Robbie Greenberg, whose filmography includes Free Willy, Fools Rush In, and Snow Day. He's won back-to-back -back primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Cinematography for a miniseries or movie for Winchell and Introducing Dorothy Dandridge. It was edited by Richard Bracken, who worked on The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, The Defiant Ones, and Episodes of Ironside. The score was composed by Harry Manfredini, who wrote the music for Here Comes the Tigers, Friday the 13th, House, and Deep Star 6. As I mentioned, there are some stingers that feel ripped from Friday the 13th, to the point where I expected Jason to leap out of the swamp. But the only real criticism that I have is that when Holland and Alice meet, about two minutes later, there's clearly a love theme that's foreshadowing a budding romance that I really could have done without. Let it happen naturally. You don't have to force emotion. The runtime is 1 hour 31 minutes. It had a budget of 2.5 million. The popularity of the movie led to a revival in DC Comics with the saga of The Swamp Thing. A film sequel, The Return of The Swamp Thing, starring Heather Locklear, was released in 1989. A television series premiered on the USA Network a year later and ran for three seasons, 72 episodes. In 1991, an animated series lasted only five episodes. A series reboot debuted in 2019, but was cancelled after 10 episodes. I give it 3 out of 5 stars. This is kinda down my alley, because it is a B-movie, it is a little campy, a little cheesy, so I might be feeling generous. I think most people would probably give it 2.5 stars, but if you like this stuff, add half a star. If you've seen Swamp Thing and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Yeah. Moving right along, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. History was the only subject in school that I was in advanced placement. It continues to be the only topic that keeps my interest. On a Friday night, you can usually find me in a YouTube wormhole where I've spanned a couple of centuries from my desk chair. And I came across one that really intrigued me. Five ancient mysteries we still haven't solved. Who was Zoroaster? 
Not much is known about the spiritual founder of Zoroastrianism, a religion that was practiced by Queen lead singer Freddie Mercury, and continues to be followed in areas of Iran and India, and is one of the oldest contiguous religions. Why did the Bronze Age collapse? In the year 1200 BCE, there were powerful empires on the Mediterranean and in Mesopotamia, and within 50 years, they were gone. Where is the tomb of Genghis Khan? He died in August of 1227, and a giant mausoleum was constructed in Mongolia, but he instructed that his burial have no markings or signs, so no one is sure of his final resting place. What was the fate of the Ninth Legion? They were a legion of the Imperial Roman army, under the leadership of Julius Caesar, Octavian, Quintus Petalus Serialis, and others. But after the Battle of Mons Grappius, they disappeared from the historical record. How were the Nazca Lines created? In the Nazca Desert in South Peru, you can find lines made in the soil that form geometric shapes and zoomorphic designs, and recorded in 1553 by Pedro Cieza de Leon. But it wasn't until 1940 that the complexities were seen by Paul Kosick when he flew over them in a plane. This video is available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Highlander, the series. Created by Peter S. Davis and William Panzer Productions, based on the movie Highlander, co-written by Gregory Wyden, Peter Bellwood, and Larry Ferguson. It tells the story of Duncan MacLeod, an immortal born in 1592 in the Highlands of Scotland. He lives a quiet life with his girlfriend Tessa, and owns an antique shop in Washington State. In the pilot episode, Connor MacLeod makes a cameo appearance to pass the torch, in the series timeline, at the conclusion of the film, he didn't win the prize, which consists of all the power from fallen immortals. He tries to convince Duncan to compete in the game, a one-on-one -on -one battle between immortals that ends when one beheads the other, and receives the quickening, absorbing their essence, their experience, and their power. In the first season, it's around the time of the gathering, where the remaining few feel an irresistible pull toward a faraway land to fight for the prize where there can be only one. It stars Adrian Paul as Duncan MacLeod, perfectly cast. He's got a great combination of martial arts skills and weapons training. He knows how to handle a katana and looks impressive doing it. Stan Kirsch portrays Richie Ryan, a young thief who tried to rob McLeod's antique store and gets exposed to the world of immortals. Peter Wingfeld plays Mythos, a fan favorite and oldest living immortal. Jim Burns acts as Joe Dawson, a member of the Watchers, who observe the movements and activities of immortals, but they're not supposed to interfere. This really is a great fantasy series, and when it was on, one of the most popular worldwide. It's dramatic, it's funny, got some really impressive action set pieces, and it got better as it moved along. This is a case where the more they moved away from the source material and created their own universe, the more successful it became. For the theme song, they used Princes of the Universe by Queen, which was also featured in the film. The longer version gets a bit queenified. They tended to overdo things and be a bit bombastic, but the short theme song featured over the credits is nothing short of perfection. Throughout the series' run, it had guest star immortals including Richard Mull, Joan Jett, Jason Isaacs, Sheena Easton, Nia Peoples, Eric McCormick, and Roger Daltrey, who appeared in a half a dozen episodes as Hugh Fitzcarn. 
Highlander the series was on for six seasons, 119 episodes, from 1992 to 1998. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates. And come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. From the dawn of time we came, moving silently down through the centuries. (laughs) I knew I couldn't one take that. (laughs) They were a legion of the Imperial Roman army, under the leadership of Julius Caesar, Octavian, Quintus Peristalsus, apparently. Quintus Quintus Peritilius Cerilius. A lot of sisses in there. Swamp Thing reminds me of Moss Man from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Does anyone remember that? If you had the action figure, he actually smelled like pine. It's incredible. I miss those toys.